0: Let me get this straight. You took all the money you made franchising your name and bid it against the Harlem Globetrotters? Oh, I thought the generals were due.
1: He's spinning the ball on his finger. Just take it. Take the ball. That game was fixed. They were using a freaking ladder, for God's sakes.
2: uh what is it april one is it yet march 31 maybe it's march 31st the last day of march the worst year ever the night fly i'm dave Juskow. how are you everybody the great joe satriani on guitar a new one from joe satriani he's the best like the best like he might actually be the best who knows he's way cool I used to on my uh, I used to have an old public access show back in the 80s very popular and uh we've talked about it on the show before how like I couldn't walk down the street without somebody noticing me that was back in the day when the uh you know when it was cool to have a public access show and that that, that phrase has never been said but uh, there was only a couple of stations so everybody knew who I was and uh I think I used to use I used to use one of his songs for my opening credits, but I can't remember which one. Do you know why? Because that was like forty years ago. And all of those are on three quarter inch tape, so I have to get uh, I got to get copies made. Oh, I guess I'll do that tomorrow. I oh no, right, it's closed. Oh well, you know what I'll do is I'll go down to the record store and I'll oh no no those, those have been closed for twenty years. Um, well, you know what I'll do I'll go down to the Barnes and Noble and I'll yeah no right no, I can't do that either. Uh, well, I'll figure it out some way or another. You'll see. <laughs> hello everybody and welcome to the show uh boy i hope everybody is doing the best you can <clears throat> i don't have the virus I'm just, i just a little cough because i uh, went down the wrong pipe you know i'm having some coffee the worst coffee from the deli i did chose not to go to dunkin donuts today i still go almost every day but i haven't been going lately because the one down the street is closed and I don't feel like walking that far. Sometimes, I mean, I don't mind walking that far, but you know what I'm saying. uh, Nobody wants to see outside, whatever. Even though I have been going outside, anyway. Long story short, and I, why I don't actually, what's the point of making a long story short? We have really nothing but time. What, what am I skipping to? What, what if we do a three or four hour podcast? Where's everybody going? Nowhere. I just, again, I just don't know how people are listening. So I will tell you this right off the bat. Uh, let's do another call-in show next week, okay? I'll just say, I mean, you know, usually plan it two weeks in advance, but screw it. I don't know who's listening. I don't know what's happening, but April 4th, Saturday, April 4th, we'll do a call-in show at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's New York City time, the worst place on the planet right now, but uh, assuming I'm still alive at that time, which I I will be, because as you know, I'll never die, um, because you know it's only the people that die are like people like you know that have money and they're like damn it I can't believe I'm dying now that I have money that's what's gonna happen once I actually okay anyway April fourth Saturday three p.m. Let's do it let's do three four six three four six two justcow our favorite number three four six two justcow three four six two j u s k o w you call that number three p.m on Saturday, this Saturday at 3, Eastern Standard Time, we can have a conversation about how you're holding up uh, during this uh, really messed up time. Now, again, you know, if you're wondering how I'm doing, I mean, really, nothing has changed for me. I mean, nothing has changed for me, except, you know, financially, but then is that really a change either? I mean, this is, I mean, that's the weird part. This is what I've been doing my whole life. Just, I'm lazy and... I sit around and do nothing. Could I be writing? Could I be creative? People are like, why aren't you writing? And I'm like, I don't know. I didn't write for the past year since I've been off. I, I don't know. My sister and I were talking about it. We're just lazy people. My mother's lazy. My sister's lazy. My dad was lazy. You know, he took a lesser salary job just so he could be home and watch TV in the afternoon. We come from a family of lazy people. When my sister was saying, I was like, she was telling me yesterday, that a lot of her friends that she lives in, you know, New Jersey, there when they're they've been down, their parents have been able to help them out. Which of course isn't a possibility for our parents, um, mostly because our dad was a moron, but also because you know my mom has no money either. So, uh, but she's like, all their parents helped them out. And I'm like, well, I don't understand. How come we didn't get parents like that? She goes, Yeah, it's weird because all their parents were like doctors and lawyers. I'm like, Well, how, even back then, I don't understand. They must their parents must be the same age as. They're the same age as you, right? They're the same age as Rhoda. What, what is the difference? They're like, I don't know. Daddy shouldn't have been a bra and girdle salesman. It's odd for a Jew. And I'm like, how is that odd for a Jew? That's what a lot of Jews did. I don't understand what the, the Garbent test. I don't think she knows what she's talking about. But, you know, I mean, not everybody. I mean, it's like we talk about this all the time. The people who work at the Dunkin' Donuts, the Indian people who work there, are idiots. they're morons. The women are much smarter than the men, though, but... uh They're they're idiots, especially the one on 46th Street by my old job. I mean, those people were genuine idiots. And then, you know, the other Indian level are geniuses. They're doctors, and uh, now they're becoming lawyers, and, you know, they're just really, really bright and smart. So it's just, you know, that happens with every ethnicity. There are Jews that are, you know, like my cousin and his father and, you know, like who own, you know, sporting teams. And then there's people like me and Beth who just, you know, were destined to just be idiots. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, that's just the, the way it works. We just got the short end of the stick on this one. You know, when we come back next time, hopefully we'll come back as a very wealthy Indian person uh, <laughs> who doesn't start out in India. Cause, you know, I've seen Slumdog Millionaire. It's not good. Or the way Raj talks about it in the Big Bang Theory, it just doesn't sound pleasant at all. And it sounds very hot. And, um, Although I don't really mind the hot weather, as long as you're dressed for If you don't have to wear a jacket and tie, of course, now nobody has to wear a jacket and tie anymore, really, unless you're running for office, which is kind of funny, because as you know, I want to run from Manhattan for Manhattan Borough president, so I will have to wear a jacket and tie again. I look horrible in a jacket and tie these days. I used to look great in a jacket and tie. I used to clean up real well, but now that I'm fat and bald, well, I guess I'm still going to... I don't know what's up with the hair, so, uh, you know, it's just gross. I just look horrible. I just got to... You know, it would be nice to have money to get a nice fitting suit that they make, especially for... Uh, you know fat guys and they do do it but because i've seen it on the simpsons episode with harvey uh, firestein got homer a really good suit and that's you know these cartoons they're real anyway um so anyway yeah we'll talk um on saturday uh and then you know play it on tuesday and you know if you want to call and you're not doing anything i mean nobody i mean that right this is the time to have the call-in show my friend joe messina mentioned he goes when are you gonna have a call-in show so I don't know who's going to call in, I don't know who's listening anymore. I don't know who I don't know what people have plans. I mean, nobody has plans, right? We know that, but I don't know, maybe I have plans. I figured to do it on a weekend because I really don't I guess other people are working during the day. I mean, I know Dave Curry's a school teacher, so I suppose he has classes online and stuff during the weekdays, so um I, I, as a small example, I you know, I, I don't I don't know, you know, I haven't worked this is just so fucked up. In the sense for me personally, and I'm not being selfish, I'm just saying it's just so weird to have not worked in a year and now everybody's not working. I mean, it's just so, I mean, it's so weird. I mean, obviously it's weird. In fact, it's so bad. So here's here's uh, the situation. We'll uh, just get to this really quick and then we'll move on to some more relaxing comedy that The Nightfly is known for. But The Nightfly is also known for being... Uh, You know, topical, (laughs) topical. (laughs) I couldn't even get that out without laughing. Sorry, that's not what I meant to say. But sometimes we have serious conversations about things. And certainly, uh, the the problem is this: when I go to bed at night, I listen to Howard Stern. um, And if he's on vacation, I'll listen to the sports station because I like to listen to live um, shows. You know that are going on. Like as I'm falling asleep, I set a timer so it goes off because otherwise it affects your dreams, right? so you know i listen to howard stern before i fall asleep and like a lot of times of the day i'm obviously a huge fan and he's been under quarantine and zooming and stuff like that uh but um you know he but he's obviously talking about the coronavirus i I don't want to hear it when i go to sleep you know everybody's you know we don't mind watching the news i watch the news for 20 minutes a day and then you know you got to get out uh, of it because you go insane um i mean for instance I just went downstairs to get a cup of coffee, right? I just went downstairs, and I go out every day usually to take a walk. Um, And I was feeling fine. I took a shower today. You're welcome, America. Um, And then as soon as I got the elevator, knowing I was going outside, I started to get a headache because I was making myself nervous that somehow the coronavirus is like in the Ten Commandments, and it's this green smoke, except it's invisible, and it's coming to slay the firstborn. You know, I mean, that's what it is, really. It's it's just like in the Ten Commandments. It's ironic that it's coming out during Passover. And uh, it's also crazy that after 5,000 years, Passover is canceled. But is it, though? Because uh, now my sister's sending out Haggadahs, and apparently we're doing an online Passover. <laughs> I'll get to that later. Uh, 'cause I'm getting off track, and there's so much to talk about today, but um, yeah, so i you know I went outside and made myself paranoid because I don't think I'm gonna catch it, I just don't right I'm one of those people that would probably go to one of those parties where I'm like, but I'm also a paranoid Jew, and I do think I'm gonna get it, right. So it's like it's like weird. So there's no way to not think I'm going to get it, but I'm also like, no, I'm not going to. I'm defiant because I just don't catch stuff like that. I just that's the one thing I don't. But of course, I'm paranoid that of course I have it. So I started getting a headache in the elevator. Now obviously I don't have it. I'm not sick. Uh, I finally got a thermometer. I think I told you I took my temperature. Everything's good, and I'm not going to get it. My nose is stuffed up, but that's from allergies or whatever. And I don't, I don't have the virus. I don't have a cough. I have my taste buds. Obviously, I would stop eating. Uh, no, I wouldn't. Who am I kidding? I'm just eating out of um, lack of things to do anyway. But, uh, you know, so, but, you know, as soon as I get the elevator, I'm like, oh, I'm going outside. I'll probably catch it. You know, from where? The air? I mean, I do have to interact with people. But that's the thing, too, right? So I don't even bother. Sarah and I don't even bother about seeing each other anymore because Silverman I'm talking about because, you know, and she's in town because she knows I'm going out every day, and that bothers her. But the fact of the matter is, you know what the funny part is? Dave Jusko goes out, and he maybe gets a coffee from one guy that works in the Dunkin' Donuts, and there's maybe two people there. But everyone else is going grocery shopping, like, every two days. And there is a massive bunch of people every day. You know, I haven't gone to the grocery store in a week and a half, so I probably have less of a chance of catching the virus or spreading it around than anyone else I know. Because I know, Sarah, and whoever else is telling you, stay away, stay away, are going to the grocery store every two days. So that's where you're going to catch it because there's so many people at the grocery store. There was a line outside of Whole Foods around the block, you know, like a line. I know everybody's social distancing, but I don't think that's very helpful once you get into the store or whatever you're doing. You can stay six feet away, but What's the difference? I don't know. What nobody knows where you catch it. This is like AIDS all over again. You know. Remember, they told me when I was working at a Benegin's, you know, restaurant in Jersey. They, they, you know, I used to come out, and I've told you this before. As the gay waiter, because the tips would be fantastic. The boys weren't, uh, you know, annoyed at you know, the, and the girls would just be like, "Oh, he's adorable." And I'd be like, "Oh my God, you guys are like the best table I've ever had." And they told me to stop doing it. Because AIDS came out, and nobody was sure he'd catch it. So you could actually just catch it from knowing a gay person. It was that bad. And remember, AIDS is the same thing. Well, this is worse. I guess you can die from this. But mostly it's the same thing, whereas AIDS just ruined your immune system. And then if you catch pneumonia or any other disease, you you would end up dying. Now, uh, unfortunately, I do know several people that are in trouble. Uh, one of them I'm not going to mention, but um, he is a huge, big part of, you know, I he's great. And, you know, uh, we've talked about him on this podcast before, and he's in big trouble. And, uh, you know, I'll let you know more when I'm allowed to tell you uh, more. Um, it's tragic. And uh, this wonderful guy, Jeff Gurian, who um, is like one of these guys, he looks like uh, Phil Spector of his hair. You look him up a little bit. And he's older than me by 10, 15 years or so. And uh, he is in the hospital on a respirator and nobody knows if he's going to make it. Uh, He did have a pre-existing condition and having, well, I mean, I guess if you consider having a heart attack a year ago, maybe bad. Maybe that's why we haven't seen Bernie Sanders at all anywhere. But um, yeah, now he's in the hospital. He's a great guy. And he was one of those guys in comedy, like when he shows up, it's like, oh, it's a thing. You know, like the opposite of this girl, Gilda, Gilda Conrad from the 80s, who used to show up at something and then it's like, oh, it's over. The fun is over now that she knows about it. He was the opposite, like where if he showed up, it was like, oh, this is big. Because, you know, even though he's not that big a deal, he kind of him showing up. But I think he was at a pagoda's funeral. I didn't know him back then, but I saw him. I'm like, who is this guy? He's always around. But everybody likes him, you know, and he's such a nice guy. And we're all, you know, rooting for him, but it's in bad shape. So joining us now is uh, my, my friend who will re- rena- uh, remain nameless today and who works at one of the, the epicenters of the New York City hospitals. And she is a nurse there, and she's been a nurse there for a long time. And she is finding it, I mean, she's on the front lines of everything. And you're having a lot of issues with uh, what's, go- what's going on, right? Lots of
1: issues. Lots to talk about. Definitely lots of issues. Um, what do you want to know?
2: Well, I mean, you know, you've told me you're having, I mean, at this point, right now, you have to, your work hours are such that it's not normal, and you can't just go home anymore. You have a family, and you need a different place to stay.
1: Right. I'm not going to be responsible for um, killing my family because I'll be honest with you the people that are the most exposed and that will get it I know I will get it is working in a hospital so if this is my job but I'm not going to be responsible for my you know, husband's death
2: why won't you take responsibility for that I think a lot of people would I'm just kidding okay uh, no of course not I mean this is horrible this is a situation that nobody knows about yet which the nurses can't go home they can't they're completely exposed you've told me your facility it doesn't have um, enough equipment. To, I mean, we know, but you're, you made it clear weeks ago that there was not enough equipment.
1: There's not enough equipment, and this is a real thing. This is very, very real. So, And I was the first person to say, oh, this is just a flu. This is ridiculous. People are blowing it up. I'm telling you, I've never been scared for my life. I'm truly scared to die.
2: I know, I know that's true because you are the one who, when, whenever I have something, you're like, ah, you're fine, take a couple of Advil. And I've never seen you like this before, and that's why I asked you to come on and kind of talk about this. I mean, we all know it's, it's bad, but you know, what we don't know is bad, I mean, or what we're just finding out is how bad it is for the doctors and nurses who are actually taking care of the overflow of patients.
1: We have doctors who are already in ICUs, doctors who are on ventilators and nurses. And we have people that have, we have uh, people that have passed. You know, we have, uh, it's, people are getting sick every day. You know, I, it's, uh, it's really, it's very, very bad and people get very sick very quickly. And let me tell you, it is not just, the elderly or pre-existing conditions that is absolutely not true in fact people who are young when they get it they get bad very very quickly and they die very very quickly it's a de- this is nothing like the flu the flu does kill people but it n- th- it doesn't infect people this quickly and it doesn't progress this quickly and it doesn't with really- the flu even with h1n1 I never remember anything being that bad. And with H1N1 in 2009, I was a nurse in critical care and I saw some bad cases, but not even close um, to this. And more importantly, it, the hospitals just don't have the equipment at all. And the CDC has literally put out a statement that nurses and doctors should wear bandanas and scarves.
2: That doesn't help at all, up, right?
1: Which is, I mean, I, I, I have no words that somebody would CDC would say something like that.
2: We were making, my uh, neighbor and I were making fun the other day because we saw on the news that people were quilting uh, masks, and I know from you that that is no help whatsoever.
1: Let me, let me tell you, starting last week, I have a friend, people really pulled through, I have a friend that works in a museum, and without asking, without any meetings, without any red tape, without any BS, she went... She went into the basement. She knew where they were. The proper N95 masks. She got as everything she had, and she gave it to me. And I brought it in, and I was smart enough to say, "You know what? I'm going to donate this to my unit, but I'm going to keep one for myself." Even though our higher ups were telling us, "You don't need to wear that around. You don't need to wear it around." Well, that exact high, those higher ups that were saying that one of those higher ups is now COVID positive, And she's been walking around, our unit. And they didn't know they're just following administration's orders. But the truth is, I'm not messing with anybody else's life. And I think that at the very least, if this is the dire situation that we're in, then tell people the truth. This is what we have. This is not good. You, you're probably going to infect your family. And and not only that, you've who knows how many of us are going to get this and how many of us are going to live or die? Honestly, that's dead straight honest. So today, when even though I am the only unit um, that does not – that we're trying – we have a, a heavy amount of uh, transplants uh, of all sorts. So we're not um, – we were trying to keep our transplants safe, and we were trying to avoid – covid patient not a void but we were trying to pick up transplants from everywhere to keep them in one place and the rest of the hospital was covid but you know there's there's people that go around from one unit to another there are doctors that go around from one unit to another and i'm just not going to take the chance i'm going to take every precaution i could possibly take and if i happen to have a mask that works that was donated um i'm going to wear it and in fact I'm going to give it to anybody who asks me for one, you know, because I'm not going to play with their lives and say, listen, you don't need it right now. But maybe tomorrow when the patient has actually COVID positive, hey, sorry, I wish you were wearing it the whole time. I just,
2: I just can't believe that we just don't have enough masks. They seem like the, they don't cost that much to make and they should be easy to obtain. I, I don't understand what happened.
1: Let me. I want to say one thing. Well, I've said a lot, but I want to say something. <laughs> You know, after September 11th, when all these committees were formed that do mock codes in terms of in, in case of emergency, in case of a nuclear, whatever, all those committees should be all fired. OK, because obviously nobody's prepared. This is a basic emergency. And there should have been step one, step two, step three. Where How, how long does it take to get these masks? I don't care how much they cost. It's one person scratches another one's back. Everybody is in meetings talking about how we don't have PPE, and yet, and then they say, then then we hear the mayor and everybody say, oh, no, we do until April 5th. No, you don't. Not even a little. Because as we were always taught, and this is the scary part, I became a nurse knowing very well that I'm going to see patients who have were exposed to deadly diseases. But I was under, I know exactly how to put protective equipment on and how to take it off and how to keep myself safe. Because... That's job and lesson number one. And now all those guidelines that I've learned and I've done my entire life are completely 100% laxed because of the lack of supply. So now the CDC has no choice. So they say, let's just change all the standard protocols and say you can reuse your mask. But let me tell you, think about this. If I walk into a patient that's COVID positive and I have a mask on and then I come out of the room, they want me to put that mask back in my pocket and reuse it next time with the next COVID patient. Oh, right.
2: I never thought about it. I didn't even think about something like that. That's so obvious, too.
1: Obvious. You're not, a, you're not a medical professional, and you completely understand what I'm saying.
2: Well, I like to think of myself as a medical professional when people ask me questions.
1: Well, maybe plastic surgery. Probably could it.
2: <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but that, yeah, right, I wouldn't have even thought, I mean, I guess that's the funny thing, you you have to throw the mask away, you have to throw your gloves away after seeing somebody, and yet it seems like such a waste, but it's the most important thing of all, is to, you know, get rid of them and move on and get a fresh one, but yeah, I guess that's probably why people weren't thinking that way, and we should have been more prepared, I mean, after... What
1: what are these committees doing, if they're prepared, if there was a, God forbid, a nuclear attack? Obviously, we'll all be nuked. I get it. But supposedly, after 9-11, there's all these plans in place, and they run mock codes just in case of emergencies and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? First of all, 2,000 cops in the city have COVID.
2: Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, a lot, so of, the, yeah, a lot of them it. and the first responders, and uh, everybody's calling in with it.
1: Because the CDC, the people that we rely on, that they rely on, are failing us. By telling us that this, these, a scarf or a bandana is what's going to protect you. What?
2: That's how insane. Is yeah. Why, why are they saying that though? If, you know, I even know that's not correct.
1: You know why they're saying that? Because their only choice they have is to give you enough, they, to maybe give each nurse one of these masks, right? So their only choice is wear a bandana over it to protect it. But it makes no sense because a bandana, just like any other material, is permeable. So, if, if I have exposure to you know if a patient I don't know, whatever if there's there's secretions that come out and splash me anywhere, um, on my bandana, okay and they also have splashed me on that mask which I need to get rid of, Ugh. and I have to put it in my pocket and reuse it, and then they t- and then the crazy thing is they gave us these other paper masks that you get to clean up your cat poop, okay yeah. And they said, bring this home to, just, in, just in case you want to protect your family. Stop lying to me. You're messing with my life. Tell me the truth. Tell me that this mask is not going to protect your family. And you will probably infect them. I have parents and kids and everything else, and it's just not a joke.
2: Well, who the hell is in charge? I mean, of all, besides the CDC, I mean, if you're at a hospital in itself, like who's in charge and giving you information like this? Who's passing this information on?
1: There's basically it's like a bunch of chickens running around with their heads cut off. That's as simple as that. All all the medical professionals, not the suits, but the big medical, the, the doctors, the big surgeons, everybody is speaking out. Everybody's saying what it's really like. But there's nobody. Everybody's hands are tied because there's no equipment available. There just isn't.
2: You know, that's because, unfortunately, nobody prepared for this because, you know, it's always something new. You know, we didn't see September 11th coming. We didn't see Hurricane Sandy coming. You know, like if those things happen again, we might be prepared for those. But we didn't think of a worldwide virus. I mean, even though we did, I mean, Hollywood has made these scenarios for years. And from what I was told, after September 11th, they bought in all these Hollywood screenwriters to, you know, make scenarios like this. But I don't know what they did with them afterwards. But
1: to Let's prepare. think back to the '80s and the the threat of the Cold War, right? The threat of a nuclear attack.
2: Yeah, that's all that we was, had. That's all I had to live, near, you know, around in the '80s. It was so much fun, but you just had to worry about a nuclear attack.
1: <laughs> it was just. It was very hyped up. Obviously, uh, you know, we, you know, me being Russian, we could talk about that another time. But um, it, it was. It was uh, the thing is like these things are possibility, you know. People in these committees, they're designed to be prepared for any kind of emergency, whether it's communicable disease or whether it's a nuclear attack or whether it's a terrorist attack. Right. They're That's supposed they're to be prepared for. They're supposed to be.
2: Right. But I can tell you because, you know, um, when I was working, you know, at my job, I was always on these committees and we did. We just usually just sent out for lunch. and We never got anything done. Exactly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it works that way at the highest level.
1: Exactly. That is my point. Exactly. So
2: (laughs) It's like every committee is like a Seinfeld episode where you're like, we're going to be here late, uh, but we can send out for lunch or for dinner. You're like, (laughs) oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, that's all anybody really cares about. It's horrible. Yeah, I'm so sorry that this is happening for you. I know you're upset. I know you didn't want to really talk about it. I really appreciate you coming on because... You know, you kind of wanted to get the word out, and the word is coming out slightly. You told me about this weeks ago. Now that you're separated from your family, I know this is like really, really tough for you. And it's if there's strange. if there's anything I can do, and I, I don't, maybe there is. I maybe can, I can go can make enter. You
1: laugh because you always make me laugh.
2: Uh, well, that's very kind of you. Most people say the opposite, but I really appreciate. No, that. <laughs> you always
1: make me laugh, and that's that's all I ever need. Coming after a 14 hour shift and doing 40. 40- Hours and three
2: days. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm also very close with your family as well. And, you know, I i know how much then you guys all get along really well. You know, you're a good household and uh, there's lots of love there. And I, I feel horrible for you. And I'm going to, I am, there is, as I told you before we got on the phone, there is something I'm going to try and do um, to help out. But um, I'm so sorry this is the case. But I hope I you're going to be okay. It. And I, I really... And I know all my listeners feel the same. They they want to send their love. They do appreciate. That's the thing. The CDC might be a mess, but you know that this general population, at least here in New York City, completely appreciate what you're doing at that hospital every day. That's I a fact. I know.
1: And I feel it, Dave. I, I, I feel it. We, I mean, we, had, we have... I have a friend that's going to be delivering food to the hospital, to the nurses. We have... You know, we have uh, people making masks. We have 3D printing masks.
2: Oh, um, brilliant.
1: Yeah, we're doing, we're doing, uh, people calling, engineers are calling with different ways of sterilizing them, etc. But well, then, I just want to say one more thing. Of course. Very upsetting about the red tape. If you're going to offer housing, whether it's a hospital housing, or parking, or housing in a hotel, in a huge hotel, which was in New York Post, saying that they're going to do that to get publicity. And it's very nice that they're doing that. At least have a plan in place. Because the minute that article came out, I was on the phone calling that hospital. I mean, excuse me, that hotel. And all they did is they had absolutely no plan. They have no idea what they're doing. And all their staff said that we they have one person working on it. And they said, just we'll take your name and we'll call you back. They didn't call you back. They didn't call me back either. I, it's I, been five days. Yeah,
2: and I know that hotel, and I know, and that really, and I know that article, and that really makes me very upset. I mean, why put that out right if you're not prepared? Why
1: put that out if you don't have a plan in place? It's the same as every committee. It's
2: yeah, they the all. Well, they team. all just want to say, "Hey, we're doing some great stuff," but they're really not doing anything.
1: They've done nothing, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm telling you, if I was one of the first people on their list, in fact, when. Uh, I, when I spoke to them, they said I'm the fourth on their list. So if they haven't called me yet, they haven't called anybody.
2: Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this matter into my own hands.
1: You better. But I will you tell you,
2: I will tell you this, young lady. When all this is finished, <laughs> I want to walk around with you in your scrubs and get free stuff. From every oh, bar and yeah. restaurant in this city. <laughs> <laughs> I will be your best friend.
1: <laughs> I'm never paying for a drink again, I'll tell you that much.
2: It'll be like walking around like a, a fireman after 9-11. This is going to be fantastic.
1: going to pick it awesome.
2: Yes, yeah, so then it'll be all good. We just got to get through it. But thank you so much for coming on and taking thank your you very me valuable me. time.
1: You're awesome. We need, you just need to keep people making people laugh because that's what you're good at.
2: Well, again, if you listen to Twitter, you would hear the opposite, but I really appreciate what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later, kid. Bye,
1: Dave. Bye. Thanks.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, boy, that's some bad, it's some scary stuff. Uh, I feel horrible for her. And, you know, talk about being sequestered. I mean, this is, uh, you know, Syria. I mean, you you know, most people are sequestered with their families. I think people aren't thinking, as a matter of fact, let's um, – well, we were talking about that Gal Gadot video last week. Uh, this is great. This guy from The Post today, Kyle Smith, um, was writing about that video, and he calls him Total COVID-idiots. Idiot, COVID Work stupidity is spreading as fast as the coronavirus. So he's got a picture of Gal Gadot and Natalie Portman. Wolf. I remember we were talking about this, but the way he words this is so great. Um, Imagine No Possessions, I Wonder If You Can, saying Gal Gadot and her Justice League of Idiots on that vomitatious Imagine video praising open border socialism, and atheism in a country where people are praying to God because of a virus unleashed on the world by China's socialist regime. I doubt Gal goes out for a meal without bringing along a very large man to keep fans at bay, so her personal borders likely begin about a three-foot radius around her. But while she sings to us from whatever ten million dollar palace she's living in now, she should invite a hundred random citizens of. She invite a hundred from Wuhan to more into her ho- to move into her house, then continue to promote her "Imagine There's No Countries" idea. Woke idiocy has attended every step of the coronavirus outbreak. I love that stuff because he's saying what I've been talking about for a while, which is you know. These people, these woke people, idiots who, you know, are posting on Instagram, these celebrities, even the news people who are posting from home in front of their fireplaces and mansions, don't seem to understand that a lot of us live in shitholes. This is my whole thing, which seems completely racist, but if I ever do a special, I'm going to bring it up. This is my thing. When I was living in Astoria in the 80s in a shithole and I was watching... What is it? Um, All all those black movies in the 80s that, that sounds horrible, but you know what I'm saying, the um, Boys in the Hood and uh, Menace to Society and all that stuff, and they're all in-house fighting in in Los Angeles, but they're all on homes in their houses with backyards and front yards and lawns and stuff, and I remember sitting there going, like, why are they so angry? I don't have any of that. I live in a shithole. This is the exact same situation. Now, granted, I live in a much better place now. And thank God, you know, I mean, but it's still just a one bedroom apartment. I don't have a staircase or anything. Unfortunately, I don't live with anybody else. And can you imagine? Fortunately, at this point, I don't have a a girlfriend or something because we'd probably kill each other. Uh, Me, you know, I mean, I've lived alone for, you know, 30 years. Uh, the the odds of me being able to pull this out. Can you imagine if I just met somebody who decided to move in? I mean there must be a lot of people out there just decided to move in with each other, you know, just a month ago, and then this happens and you're like, uh oh. And then where do, what do you do with Oh, I just gave up my apartment and you just gotta make the best of it, of course, but oh my god, there's plenty of people who are probably younger living in a studio apartment together. We'll make it. Oh my god, I can't even imagine. So Let's not even talk about that because I don't even want to imagine a world like that. Because I did live with somebody for a while and I can't imagine living in that shithole with her at this point. I would probably blow my head off. I'm sure I could get to a gun store and blow my head off. That's probably what I would do. I'd let her live. She was nothing but nice. It was my fault. Uh, anyway, uh, what was the point of the story? Oh, right. So on Instagram, people are just showing, you know, the, the, the mansions they live in, like toughing it out. Still here, you know, day 11 or whatever. And they're and they're just, they have all this room and space. And like I said, whenever you see a staircase anywhere, you just get jealous, or I do. I'm like, wait, they can go to another floor and like relax? So, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, on the flip side of that, I will just tell you that um, my mother, people have been asking, uh, fans of the show, have been asking, how's your mother doing? I'm like, she's fine. She's never been happier. You see, For me and my sister and my mom, again, we've been planning for this. We've been doing this. We're lazy. We just watch TV all the time. So now we have no fear of missing out. Clearly, Rhoda, like me, has a fear of missing out. And uh, now that doesn't exist because we're not missing out on anything, you know, except when idiots post on Instagram. But my mother doesn't. But, you know, what am I missing out on? Meanwhile, I've been talking to some people and they're very selfish and they're just like, I don't care about this. I need to live. I'm young. You know, like the the ones we're talking about, the 2030s. You know, by the way, the 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, I don't think they're called millennials anymore. I'm giving those people a pass, as I said. But whoever this next generation is, they suck. Thank you. But um, anyway, I don't want to mention the person who it is. But uh, what else did I want to talk about today? I mean, there's so much to talk about, so... I'm just trying to figure out where to begin. Um, Oh, right. So I was telling you, it looks like Passover's still on. That's really annoying. Uh, My sister's mailing out Haggadahs, so we have to Zoom. Because we taught my mother how to Zoom last week. Now, I said, listen, we're not going to teach you how to Zoom because you're too stupid to do it. I said it just like that. I swear to God, I said it like that because because she couldn't remember, she couldn't type in com. That's like that's mean to do to your mother. And I'm like, I'm sorry. She's known how to use a computer for 20 years. She can't type. She doesn't know what a browser is. And to type in ComedySeller.com so she can see a picture of her son, say the featured event. I just wanted to share this moment with her. I've already yelled about this enough already. So I just said, I cannot deal with the Zoom shit with you. You're a moron who can't type in ComedyCellar.com. I know that sounds horrible, but come on. I'm still angry about that because that's ridiculous. So my sister and Liza went over her house. They, yeah, they went, they went in. It was uh, Uncle Bob's birthday from you know, Aunt Judy and Uncle Bob, the reason why we uh, you know uh, are related to the owner of the devil's. And she bought them food for her birthday, left it on the doorstep, but came in to see my mother, took the chance. My mother had no problem with it. They stayed apart. They didn't hug or anything and set them up with the Zoom so we will be able to see my mother and unfortunately do Passover, (laughs) which I thought, damn it, I finally got out. It was canceled. But it looks like that's what we're going to be doing. I will be leading the Seder as normal. Of course, when the meal happens, I guess I'll just have to watch everybody else enjoy whatever they were cooking <laughs> uh i'll just sit here and be like i i can watch you guys eat i guess boy it'd be nice to have a home-cooked meal i'll tell you this oh my god so remember i told you i was you know i get all the canned right i've been you know this this chef boyardee i gotta i can tell you what i gotta call mrs boyardee see what she's doing <laughs> i gotta thank that mrs boyardee <laughs> So remember I told you I got dinty more beef stew. Now, I've never had dinty more beef stew in my life, but that was all that was left on the shelves, and I don't mind that kind of food. But I can tell it's taking its toll, and just, you know, my chairs, like they, you know, they're, um, you know, you, you press the button on the side and they raise up, but um, they're not sticking. <laughs> because I'm getting so much weight. It's just, my chairs keep falling down. I have to keep pumping them up. Uh, so, it, the mashed potatoes and Dinty Moore beef stew are not helping. But the worst part is I was watching Aaron Brockovich the other day, which I've seen really, I could probably tell you at least 50 times I'm being like serious, not exaggerating, but I wonder if I've seen it over 50 times. Now remember also I was at the Aaron Brockovich premiere with all the celebs, the red carpet, the whole thing, the party after with Julie Roberts with Albert Finney, with um, Aaron, uh, the Aaron whatever the the biker guy was, and I got to meet all of them and hang out, and you know that movie was really terrific. I mean, really, really good. I mean, I love it. I loved them. That's not just because I was at the premiere and it was a good time. I love that movie. I really like it. I don't care for Julia Roberts that much, but that movie is great. I mean, there's certain scenes in it that are just really entertaining, and I just really like the movie. And this point, I just fast forward to. I mean, I'm usually watching if it's on. I turn it on. You know what I'm saying? If I'm like eating or something, I'll watch this movie or something. Um, anyway, the point of the story is there's one part where, you know, she's poor. Erin Brockovich, not Julia Roberts. But Erin Brockovich is poor. She's got three kids, lives in a poor town. You can see all this, you know, somewhere near that Hinckley place. And So she's carrying her baby at one point and opening a huge can for the family dinner of Dinty Moore beef stew. And that's when I said, oh, Jesus Christ. Do I really live in New York City or am I really this poor where it's come to where Aaron Brockovich is open and the producer of the movie said, hey, let's have her opening like a big thing of dinty more beef stew for a family because that's what poor people do. So it's come to that, which I guess it has. I can't believe they even sell that stuff in New York City. Can you believe it? Meanwhile, it's fucking delicious. <laughs> I don't know why it's so delicious. It just is. I never wanted it as a kid because my mother used to make the worst stew ever in the history of the planet. So it's funny that I would even like stew at all anymore, but then you know, I realized that everything I hated as a kid, it was all because my mother was just a really bad cook. And apparently a lot of people make stuff a lot better, like stew or or shepherd's pie, which I guess is kind of stew with with a covering over it, of mashed potatoes. I mean, her meatloaf... Her stew, oh my God, the chop, the liver, not chop liver, liver, ugh god Kenny some my friend Kenny sometimes eat liver and onions, I'm like that I'll never go to because that was the worst food I ever had in my life, and I don't nobody should be eating that anyway, but yeah, my mother she'd make um sometimes she'd make sole horrible, I mean these it's all her cooking, we know this because now my brother in law makes the same dishes and they're amazing, so It's in the cooking. I don't want to blame her when we were kids. You're doing the best you can. You're not a cook. My father married her on the pretense that she was a cook because, as we found out later, my grandmother made two good things. So he thought he was getting into a family that was cooking, but then it didn't happen. And, of course, the the wife back then used to do all the cooking, I guess. Um, But she stunk, and she still does. But she thinks she's good. So it would be so much better... To just be honest, and this is the only reason I've had a problem with her in the past, is I'm just like, just be honest. You stink. Just, can't you, I mean, everybody's sitting there telling her, they're all praising her. It's like it's like um, the Big Bang there. You're you're all afraid of Sheldon to say something, but somebody's got to stick up for themselves in some time and say, Rhoda, stop cooking. You're horrible. Let's have it somewhere else, because you are the worst cook ever. And it's funny, because she comes, and my, my dad's, I guess my dad was so desperate because Aunt Judy doesn't cook, and my and his mother never cooked. You know, she had to call up and ask when the water was boiling. She didn't know. Um, it just runs in the family. We got a shitty family. We got a shitty family of roots. No cooking, no cleaning, and we're just poor. I don't know what happened. What kind of Jews are these? We're like the worst kind of Jews. This was all supposed to be going great for us. Anyway... Um, so uh, there's a, th- there was an article in the paper this guy Johnny Oleski in the New York Post, and I'm trying to get him on the podcast too because he's actually a terrific uh, writer as well as Michael Riedel. And he does more like millennial-based stuff on movies and stuff. He's like the movie critic, and I like the way he reviews movies and stuff and makes fun of them. And he's a, he's, he would be a very interesting guest, trust me. Uh, so he wrote an article on uh, Friday saying that Marie's Crisis... Now, Marie's Crisis is a place I'd been going to for 15 or 20 years. Down in the West Village, before it was popular with straight people, uh, I would go there because there was just a piano player. It's a very crowded bar. I mean, who knows if that'll ever even open again because that place is just jam-packed with germs. Um, it's a very crowded bar with a piano player and they just everybody sings show tunes around the piano. Remember, I've talked about it before because I said, boy, if there was a place that just everybody sang... Billy Joel songs or whatever you like, or, you know, if you like, well, the dead wouldn't work really in a place like that. But if everybody can just sing along and have a good time and not worry about looking gay or whatever, you know, this is just the best place and it's a happy place. And, you know, everybody's just drinking and it's truly open till, you know, four in the morning. And when you look out the window, I don't know whether I ever mentioned this before. One time it was like snowing and it's in the West Village, the heart of the West Village. And you would look out on the street and you're like, boy, I bet you this place, this would be just like what it would be like in like the 1800s. Uh, it's probably the same situation. Like uh, we're sitting around a piano, no you know, modern things, and there's no cars going down the street you know, because it's snowing. This is probably exactly what it was like 100 years ago at this exact place. But this place is terrific and I would bring people in all the time and then all of a sudden other, I don't know how, but other, I guess I brought people in and they started bringing people in because I brought David Tell in one time and even the waitresses there who are not, you know, the prettiest of folk, they all knew Insomniac, they were excited that he was there. I'd bring everybody in there because it was a good time, you know, as gay as it was or whatever. It was really, really fun and, you know, it was kind of an inside thing. Uh, and then other people found out about it, and then it became, like, a place, like, I mean, I know a friend, I won't mention his name, and he was just going there to meet girls. And, you know, it turned out you could, because there were straight girls that were in there, but I remember I went in there once with my sister and this super hot girl, and uh, I was like, yeah, I'm going to hit on her, and then I remember she's like, yeah, that's a good idea, and then sing tomorrow at the uh, top of your lungs, and let's see if you can then ask her out after that, you know, like, I mean, yeah, you just look like... uh, (laughs) It would be difficult to make the move in there, because the girls also are not expecting you to make the move, but now, like I said, the things have changed. Anyway, this wonderful place, Marie's Crisis, uh, is doing this thing online, which I, this guy mentioned the other day, and it was like it's every day, I guess. I thought it was just Saturdays at five o'clock, and I went on Saturday at five o'clock, and this woman is playing, and it was fan- you have to be invited to the site. It's called Marie's Group. Uh, I think anybody can go in, but here's the funny part: it's a Facebook page. You go in on Facebook, and then they and you have to be invited in. Here's the classic thing because I was telling Sarah Zimmerman about this yesterday, and uh, I said you got to join this group because you know she knows all about Marie's Crisis and stuff too. I've been I've been taking her there for years, and uh, so but they immediately ask, "What's your favorite show tune?" So then it comes down to. All right, I really want to be invited to this group. It's obviously a sophisticated group, and this is a trick question, you know, because they, they don't want troublemakers in there, right? They only want the true authorities that aren't going to make fun of people, that don't want any trolls. So what I'm going to have to do is come up with what the answer they want me to say. Now, normally, I mean, you can't say tomorrow from Annie. That's too obvious, which it probably isn't, and something from a chorus line. All too obvious, right, that... The, Right, so the first thing I think of, my actual favorite song, I think is "Into the Fire" from the Scarlet Pimpernel. I mean, listen, folks, it, but you know, we we like what we like, and uh, this is my, you know, I mean, I mean, this is like 1776 shit. It's a, a guy singing out about, yeah, into the fire,
0: fire and into the fire we go. Let the lightning strike. Let the flash of it shock you.
1: Why
2: wouldn't I like it? I like 1776. It's the closest as I can get.
0: <laughs> let the fever fight. Let the force of it rock you. We will have
2: our day sailing into the fire! Land ho! Land ho! Now is <laughs> when it gets really good. Now it picks up. Someone Yeah, so that's my favorite. uh, (laughs) That's my favorite. What are you gonna? What am I gonna do? That's my favorite song. I don't of all time. I think it is. I'm sorry. It's from a very. That's. It's from a musical that's so obscure. It's ridiculous. But I saw it. Not only did I see it on Broadway, but um, I think I've told you this before. When I was writing for Maxim magazine in the 2000s, I was living in LA and I was working. And I knew a girl from Backstage West. Backstage was the. You know, the acting uh, thing, you'd look for auditions and stuff. And they're like, listen, do you do 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 any interviews? And I'm like, sure. She goes, have you ever heard of the Scarlet Pimpernel? Because we have the league. I'm like, Douglas Sills." And she goes, well, the fact that you even know that means you're the guy for the job. Because, like, no one in California knew who that guy was. And I got to interview him. I mean, it was a, a dream. I loved this play. I don't know why. There's a lot of good songs in it. And um, that song, for some reason, speaks to me, and it's just—it's funny because as a straight man who likes show tunes, the ones I like the most are the manly ones, like this or you know, 1776, where they're fighting about freedom and singing, and that's the ones I like. But do I put that in? And a group like Maurice They're going to be like, no, he's obviously straight. Who would say into the fire from the Scarlet Pimpernel? No gay man is going to say you know i don't want to think i'm too straight so i don't want to say 1776 because then they're going to be like no he only likes these kind of musicals obviously not for us so i'm like what is the right one i can't put um you what what is the one from pippin that everybody corner of the sky which i could actually be my other favorite because it's so goddamn good remember i played it on the marina podcast or whatever um because that's so obvious, then they're going to know I'm not a true fan. So all this is going on. Meanwhile, I'm thinking about all this stuff, and they're like, "You've been accepted." Apparently, they couldn't care less. They just want people to be accepted because they want you to Venmo or PayPal the musicians. So it turned out it didn't make a difference. So I put it into the fire from the god Pepperdell. <laughs> all that for nothing. But uh, so so well. Here's the best part about the story too. And this only happened yesterday, last night, right at five o'clock, and uh, I was talking to my friend Lori. Uh, from the bar that I like, you know, down in the village. And uh, I was like, listen, I got to get going. She goes, where do you got to go? And I'm like, I I got two things at 5 o'clock. Yamanika Sanders, you know, my friend, the comedian, um, she texted me and she goes, hey, Comedy Central is live streaming my special and I really need friends to be on because there's a lot of trolls. You know, she's a fat black woman. Uh, there's a lot of trolls. And she was right. Like I was looking and they're like, you fucking piece of shit. And it was so she you know because she was commenting back and chatting while it was going on so you know a couple of us watched it with her which was fun but i also wanted to be on the marie's crisis side at five o'clock so i had both of them going at the same time these couldn't be more opposite from each other because on the one hand you have you know some people or every people some hum drum people all you know what I play and then you got yamanika man my pussy dry and i don't know where to find a man that can satisfy me i don't know if that's, i don't know any for material like but i know she does talk like that and say my pussy dry she going to make my he going to make my pussy dry uh so you couldn't have two more opposite things, and they were playing at the same time. Because I didn't want to let anybody down, <laughs> and it was like I don't have anything to do for weeks, and then all of a sudden there's two things at the exact same time at the exact same moment, which is why we're actually having the Colin show at three, four, six, two just now at three p.m. because it seems like at Saturday at five, that's when everybody seems to live stream. I noticed Mark Marin was doing a live stream, and a couple other people had some live streams going at five o'clock on Saturday. That seems like the time. So I thought we would do it at three o'clock on Saturday, and then everybody can, you know, go to the more popular programming. But this is what uh, I was listening to. I taped a little bit off of it of this woman just playing the piano from her house, and her neighbors are, uh, you know, stomping on the floor. Now I thought, you know, that maybe they're stomping on the floor because it's like in Pretty in Pink, where Annie Potts, you know, hits the floor with the broom because she likes the guy playing the song. Like, she likes the song, so she bangs on the wall, but no, I think they were just angry. And what do you get angry at somebody playing the piano and singing for at this point? It's 5 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. Grow up.
1: And a piece of Mahler's. I'll
0: bring
1: that. And one for Mahler. Hi-
2: Favorite musical uh, called Company, the Ladies Who Lunch, but there she is. She's not a great singer, you know. She's a piano player at a at a at a bar, like Billy Joel, you know. And um, she's just doing the best because that's the thing. Those guys aren't singers; they let everybody else sing, so they don't need to be good singers. But she's doing the best she can. She's playing. She's making everybody joyful, and um, you know, And she's shouting out the people that are coming on, which is which is amazing. She's able to read the music, sing, and see. Who's like, oh, hi, Alex. Hi, everybody. I mean, it's making people feel good. So good so that since March 2nd, I have not gone online on my bank account. I haven't paid any of my second half bills because I just didn't want to know what I had in my bank. And I'm sure a lot of people are feeling that way. I just didn't. I was. Just, I keep using my card. I'm like, I'll just keep using it until they say it's been declined because it's over. I don't know what to do. You know, I'm scared. But this made me... I feel good enough today, thanks to this wonderful woman I think her name's Francesca or something, and I even donated like 10 bucks on PayPal because she made me feel so good, and so like there was all these other people around, like we were at that bar again that I was able to go into my account while this was playing, look up what I had and pay some bills. It wasn't as horrible as I thought, but you know it's not good either, and then certainly after I paid the bills, it got worse. But it certainly made my day. So I know you know we don't really have a lot of money to pay people like that, but some people have more. So I was talking to my friend who you know is a straight guy too, and he I said, "Do you know about this?" I saw his name on the group, and he goes, "Yeah, I'm already several hundred dollars deep." Uh, You know, he has a lot more money, but um, yeah, I mean, I really feel bad. I'd love to give more because this really is great. It's a great way to just. You know, have it on in the background. Uh, while, by the way, I play my new Golden Tee video arcade machine, uh, which I uh, just put together. I had it, you know, I bought it in November, an old fashioned '80s or '90s video arcade. I bought it's a golf game called Golden Tee, and I finally put it together. Just, to, you know, it would take a normal man uh, probably about an hour to put it together. It took me three days. Uh, you know, using a screwdriver, it's called a screwdriver, and apparently they have different heads, they have a a Phillips head, it's called, and a a different flat one, Uh, but years ago I bought a small electric screwdriver, which was probably the greatest investment I ever made, and I can put stuff together, you know, when I buy like cabinets or stuff like that, and it just, you know, I just got to take my time doing it, but I actually really enjoy it, but it really takes a lot out of me, that's why it took me three days, I'm like, that's good for today, it's like in Seinfeld when they're writing the script oh I think we've done enough for today let's uh talk about it tomorrow um but uh yeah so wait so it's great I build the whole cabin in it's on a riser so I can play it like an old like in a bar in the 90s it's a golf game it's not as entertaining as I wanted it to be I guess I don't know maybe I just don't care but it's fun and I kind of like look forward to playing it so while that was on I was playing that and uh you know, I I got a lot of long distance shots and I've been really good at my putting. Uh just putting at night with the fifteen year old daughter of the dean. And then I've been thinking about Chris Donahue and his scholarship. Uh his son's county scholarship. <laughs> oh, he sent me some news about that. I'm sorry, Chris, I forgot to read it. I know it's gonna be extra funny, but then all this happened. So uh anyway, yeah, so I've been using the golden tea machine and it's uh, oh, so so uh I'm listening to it. I'm I'm putting it together. And I'm listening to Howard Stern and he's like, you know what people say, you know, you shouldn't uh, bubble wrap is dangerous because all that stuff was packed in China. As he's saying that, I'm looking at this board that goes on top and it says made in China. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just released the entire coronavirus in my house. Um, it did certainly make me nervous at first. I'm like, wait a minute. I got this in November. But then I'm like, well, it was probably packaged in China during the time. I, You know, who knows how long it's been in the States. Uh, but it's packed so well. It's called this Arcade One Up or something, and they have a bunch of machines. They got like five or six. You know, they got Pac Man. They got Joe's got Star Wars. Um, they got Galaga. So I mean, you could buy a whole bunch of them. They're like three hundred dollars. They were. It wasn't that expensive. You know, it wasn't like the two thousand dollar machine. Um, but it's fun to have in the house, and it lights up, and it's got the sounds. It's got four different games, but they're all the same. It's got Golden T Classic, Golden T ninety eight, Golden T ninety nine, and Golden T two K. Uh, but they're all exactly the same like i tried each one and i'm like there's no difference here this is horrible <laughs> like the graphics are horrible but we don't care we these are the 80s machine like but he can play 18 holes so you can play for a while you know with the star wars game that joe had i figured well he has that game so <laughs> before i bought this i'm like i can go over to his house and play it but now i can't go over to anybody's house and play it. but you know that game doesn't last as long for me because i can't do it well this game is a nice long-lasting game takes a little takes some time you can watch tv while you do it you know you don't have to really concentrate on it that much there's a lot of time it was a good bar game cuz you could drink beer while you're playing it cuz it really didn't take that much effort time or skill so i thought this was a good one to have in the house when people are over but of course that will never happen again but i did have time to put it together and it was very entertaining um let's see what else um Bad news from uh, some more bad news. My Our friend uh, Rich Duffy, who you know, maybe we'll call in on Saturday, uh, his mom died. I knew her very well, obviously, in the 70s. Um, she was a lovely person. She didn't die of the virus, just died of old age and years of drinking. I mean, they are Irish. There's nothing you can do about that. So I uh, got to talk to Rich, and he's a mess because not, uh, I mean, you know, he didn't like that his mother died, but... He unfortunately had to. Tr- he lives in California, up, up upper California, northern California, and had to go to North Carolina, and now he's got to go home and quarantine himself, you know, for 14 days, uh, so he can't even see his wife or anything. He's like, I can crawl out the back window on the fire, and the and we have a ladder set up. <laughs> I'm like, it sounds pretty bad. So, I assume he'll be listening. And uh, Rich, I'm so sorry. Your mother was a very awesome person. Always. Really nice to me, and I know your you know, family didn't understand Jewish people, so I appreciate them uh, letting me into their house. And stuff. Well, it is a thing. They didn't hate Jews at all or anything, you know, just like that was the thing. You know, people did hate Jews back in then when I met Rich, you know, in junior high. That's what my sister and I were talking about. We're like, why were we the poor Jews? Why, were they, why couldn't we be the rich Jews that we knew in high school? We were, just, we were technically called the rich Jews when we were in junior high, but then it turned out we were poor Jews as we found out in high school when all the richer Jews would make fun of us for being poor. So, as you can see, being Jewish means no difference. Uh, you know, you're unfortunately, you hitched your wagon to a very poor Jew, uh, not one of the Richies who... No, um, <laughs> Richies. <laughs> ah. Oh, I'm on fire today. Someone I mean, into the fire. What? You day can't day play day 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 that again. You're so gay. Yes, you tell them. Hold on your lip for a moment. Look alive, but the courage will fall.
0: Yes, Yes, it's it's higher and higher, and into the fire fire. we go. Into fire. fire. (laughs) Onward,
2: ho. Onward, ho. Yes, you tell them. Boom. (laughs) Boom. That's our battle song. It's our battle cry for this time. The Nightfly brings you into the fire. Three four six two, Just Call. April fourth, Saturday at three p.m. You can call and say, Dave, stop playing into the fire. What the hell is the matter with you? But I would even say that a guy that didn't like Broadway would be okay with that song. It's a manly march, like in uh, Les Mis. The you know some of Les Mis that people seem to enjoy, which I never cared for, mostly because I just hated that movie so much. My God. So, um, oh, I played that Harlem Globetrotters thing up front because uh, Curly died from the Harlem Globetrotters and he was the best, right? I mean, when we were growing up, it was all Curly. You know, he was the most important thing. We, there were so many Harlem Globetrotters. There was a TV show. There was uh, there was a cartoon. They were on Gilligan's Island. You know, and we, probably, we definitely went to see him live a couple times and Curly was the guy because he was the only, ironically, he was the only one who was bald out of all the players. You know, it just wasn't a thing. Plus, he looked just like my grandfather. So um, it was so funny. But he was also the funniest and, you know, the one they'd use in the cartoons like, uh, you know, like, uh, like the, the the you know, the Beatles cartoon. Ringo was the idiot, you know, like he was the one like the dummy or whatever. And that's what Curly would be. So he was the most charismatic character, not uh, voiced by Scatman Crothers. I think he did. Well, we got to go back to the basketball. I'm doing Bill Cosby. I messed it up. I heard my voice when I was doing it, too. No, wait. I used to be able to do as Catman Crothers. Let me try again. Boy, did you know you- I can't do it. My throat is all... Because I haven't done it in years. I used to... This is one, uh, one of my signature imitations. You know, It made me famous with the young comics in the day. Boy, did you know you shine? Eh, it's not as good. I can- Let me try again. I better get my Hong Kong book of Kung Fu. It's better. It's better, Missus Dempsey. Would you like to play kick the can? I'm getting better. I got the uh, thing out of my throat, and now I'm getting better at it. But um, it's not. It's not the. It's not. It's not. It's you're not good. It's up there with my Ruth Gordon imitation.
0: I relax.
2: Gotta cause you, father. You gotta learn to live a little. Rosemary's having a devil baby. What's the difference? It doesn't matter. What would. Doing. Come on. Um, so, oh, my God. Uh, so uh, Mayor de Blasio, who is the worst mayor, not ever, he's pretty bad. Um, so now he's I mean, I know everybody's uh, releasing inmates, you know, in jails, but it really does feel like since it feels very ap- apocalyptic, you know, this entire thing. But it does feel like a Batman episode, you know, where, like, all the inmates from Arkham As- As- Asylum get out, you know, in, like, a Batman movie, and they're all released, and Batman's got to get them each back into the cells and stuff. I mean, it is creepy when you hear that happening. I'm sure they're releasing the pretty nonviolent ones, but, you know, it's pretty messed up. I mean, that's when you know things are bad. They're releasing the prisoners, and you can picture it in the movies. I'm sure when... Someday when somebody makes a movie, they're going to be like, let us out. Let us out. Uh, because the, you know, probably the uh, security guards are dying or something and have the virus. I mean, that, that's that got to be a disaster. I mean, there's got to be people in jail like like me. I mean, I almost went there for four months who probably, you know, you could let out. But, uh, you know, then the others that, that kind of have to stay. And it's, maybe it's best if they catch the virus. But... um you know, really, it's just it does feel like a like a Batman episode. I was thinking about that, and also, um, so, so um, you know, everybody's been looking for stuff to watch. Uh, f- first of all, I will tell you, I was watching Mash, you know, on MeTV at seven o'clock, and uh, there was an episode with, um, well, with this guy?
0: Are you coming, Fred? Uh-huh. All right. Well, I have been dieting all day long. My mom's apple pie is better than this stuff. You want a piece?
3: Yeah, sure. <laughs> hey, Putsy. <Huh>?
2: 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, Putsy. Hey, Putsy. Oh, wait, let's, uh, this is the best.
1: No, Danny, I'm kind of worried about this dance-off. Maybe they dance differently than we do back home. Don't worry about it. Maybe we'll invent the kangaroo pop. Hey. <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, that Rizzo really got her. Maybe we'll invent the kangaroo bop. <laughs> and Sandy should be like, really, Riz? That's all you got? Don't worry, maybe we'll make the kangaroo bop. That would have been a much better movie if Paul Lynn had played the stalker-channing role, don't you think? Turns out I missed my period. <laughs> I'm preggers. Well, good news, certainly travels fast. <laughs> From you to me, Pinky Lee. (laughs) Now, that would have been a much better movie. I wonder if I could uh, splice that together. But anyway, the point is that uh, Putsy was in this mash episode. The the reason I bring up the mash episode is because I couldn't believe it. It was an episode where this guy was injured. And then this, I'm just going to use the word retard, uh, comes in. This kid is a little slow comes in and uh he says is my guy there and they and they realize he's a little slow and apparently <laughs> this is so weird uh, if I can explain this properly. The slow guy saved he carried him the, the his friend was assigned to him uh kind of like the way um what's his face? Uh Matthew Modine was assigned to uh private pyle in uh Uh, Full metal jacket. Uh, And so this guy was assigned to him to take care of him. And then it turns out this guy got shot. And this guy took care of him. And it took him out of battle. I mean, it really is the plot to Forrest Gump. In the sense of uh, Forrest, uh, you know, this slow individual uh, taking care of these people. Especially Bubba. And bringing them out in that one scene in Vietnam where he, you know, kind of is the hero for everybody. And it's the exact premise. uh, Because it was very moving that this, this slow guy who really shouldn't be in the army at all, that's what they were saying, uh, that the army made a mistake, turned out to be kind of a hero and you know very friendly, and he had to find like a new uh, person to take care of him, even though he was taking care of everybody else. It really is uh, the very premise of that one scene, at least, in Forrest Gump. And then I was trying to think. I'm like, boy, they ripped it off. And they might have, because uh, the guy that wrote the film wrote it in the 80s. The, the guy that wrote the book, uh, this guy Winston Groom, wrote it in 1986 so he definitely could have seen that mash episode and say oh well, that's a great premise i'm gonna put up my book meanwhile i was looking about it and this guy winston groom who wrote the book got completely screwed on the uh on the residual somehow i don't know why he got screwed but they the the movie people did not treat him right and told them that they made less i don't know maybe the guy was a dick or something i don't know but yeah they really uh they really uh made him look like a jackass so then apparently he wrote a sequel called uh gump and company in 1995 and that's well i guess that's right after the was that before after the movie came out i don't know he wrote a sequel and um it's kind of interesting so so the guy who wrote forrest gump the movie took the sequel book and started writing the screenplay and the script begins it's kind of interesting it, they were looking at to make it after um, he wrote it in 2001 after 9-11 and he was looking for us, sitting on a bench waiting for his son the kid from the sixth sense to return from school after the September 11th attacks um, but then Roth and Zemeckis and Hanks decided the story was no longer relevant in March of 2007 however it was reported Paramount producers took another look at the screenplay but this is the best part which is really interesting I think This is what I actually would like to see. On the very first page of the sequel novel, Forrest Gump tells readers, don't never let nobody make a movie of your life story. Though whether they get it right or wrong, it doesn't matter. The first chapter of the book suggests the real-life events surrounding the film have been incorporated into Forrest's storyline, and that Forrest got a lot of media attention as a result of the film. But during the course of the sequel novel, Gump runs into Tom Hanks and at the end of the novel the film's release including gump going on the david letterman show and attending the academy awards that's kind of see i would <laughs> i would enjoy that very much i think we all would i mean that does you know that would i would sit there and be like oh my god this is so awesome i don't know why it just is but then i was thinking if you name it gump and company and the reason why it was named gump and company gump and company actually is because it was um uh, because I think it was when he started running Bubba Shrimp or whatever, you know, uh, Bubba Gump Shrimp. So I was just looking up, that's such, a, that's such a stupid name. That's like when you call something blues and you're like, baby blues or blues. It's like you just don't have another name for it. And I was thinking, and company is just stupid. Meanwhile, I could see myself totally naming a show dave just company i because i because it's stupid just like my uh public exit show was named dave just friends and the reason it was named dave just friends and everybody else who shut up with when they use that title because i t- thought of it first i got it from bugs bunny and they have bugs bunny and friends the so fuck that's the reason i named it that everybody else just stole it from me thank you very much Meanwhile, you know, i was looking up what other things in company like cc and company that horrible joe namath movie with Anne margaret except joe namath is the shit Um, and it's funny when he's at a beach scene, he looks, it's funny that he's, um, you know, he looks great, but he looks, he's not in the physical shape. Like somebody like Tom Brady is in or something, you know, it's funny back then he's just like a big guy and a football player, but he's not like, you know, he's at like in a bathing suit near the water. He, he doesn't, he doesn't look like, it looks like he's been in retirement for years. But meanwhile, he was in the prime of his career back when he was making that. It was like that was filmed in 1969 after they won the Super Bowl. It's just funny that this day and age, you definitely look a different way. He looks more like Dave Juskow at the pool. I mean, it really, he really does, just he's taller. Maybe by a little bit. You know, even back then, some of those guys weren't as tall as they are now. Anyway, there was a show called Van Dyken <laughs> Dyke and Company. Dyke. Uh, but it was Dick Van Dyke in a show in 76. And it didn't last very long, and it wasn't very good. But I did find a very, very interesting clip from Van Dyke and Company. I probably watched every episode because I was obsessed with Dick Van Dyke. Um, but it, it was bad. Um, but, you know, I probably didn't even know I was watching this uh, genius at this point.
0: Hey, how would you all like to meet the fans? Well, boy, well, I sure would, I'll tell you that. But he's not on the show tonight. We tried to uh, book him, but we, it was just impossible. The boy is... I
2: mean, it's so funny. They're just like trying to like, how would you like to meet the Fonz, everybody? And everybody, oh my
0: God, he's on the show? Very, very, very busy. So instead, we had an interesting idea. We thought we'd hold our own Fonzie look contest. And we did. And the results, the response was absolutely Unbelievable. For about two months, the producers and our staff were out combing the country, looking at literally uh, thousands of Fonzie lookalikes. Tonight, we have finally narrowed it down to the two finalists. And you all wait till you see them. You're not going to believe this. this is uncanny, amazing. I mean, you know, the resemblance is absolutely fantastic. I'm going to bring them out now. Here they are, the two finalists in the Fonzie lookalike contest. Bring them on out. believe it myself when i first saw them <laughs> okay let's see the first fonzie lookalike is um, joe caden brother from new york city <laughs> i can't believe it even
2: so that's that's super funny uh it's a black guy and uh he's you know <laughs> using the black <laughs> i'm joe caden brother from new york city um so that's the gag uh that um you know which is pretty funny even for back then um, but it gets uh, actually better unless you know this clip you're not going to believe it
0: sounds like him <laughs> That's just fantastic look I w- Joe what I want to know is how has your resemblance to the Fonz affected your own personal life well you know I used to have to wait in lines man everywhere I went I was yeah. in lines and then after uh, people noticed I looked like the Fonz like if I'd be waiting in a, outside a restaurant you know uh at the end of the line somebody would notice me and say, "Hey, Fonz, come on down." <laughs> yeah, and he looks
2: nothing like. I mean, obviously he's black, but that's the gag, but he's also wearing like he's got a full beard, he's got the hat, and he looks
0: nothing like the Fonz. I mean, that is really funny. Right to the front of the line everywhere. Right? theaters, restaurants and all that. He just say, "Hey, Fonz." Right? <laughs> hey, hey. You know, and I say, hey, "Sit on it." <laughs> Like them. I can't believe it. Guys, really remarkable resumes. Really remarkable. Well, listen, Joe, I want to wish you a lot of luck in our contest tonight. Yeah, right on. Okay, and now sir, your name is? My real name is Andy, but friends
3: call me the fancy. I can see why. So it's Andy Kaufman is the
2: second guy of the Fonz and this is two years before Taxi and before the Lotka characters so he's, he doesn't, he's not using a lot so people have never seen this before so it's uh, kind of actually super special I thought it was maybe during Taxi but it's
0: not yes. <laughs> I can understand that yeah, because,
3: because I don't uh, put makeup and I don't dress you know to, to look it because I look anyway
0: so I can just see You don't. You don't need anything. I don't
3: need no, no makeup.
0: That's true. Well, I'll tell you. That's something we should take into consideration too when we're making the final judgment. Thank you very much, Andy, right. and good luck Thank in you, our lady. contest. Okay, the time's come, ladies and gentlemen. I have the envelope right here. The winner of the 1976 bicentennial Fonzie look-alike contest is Mr. Joe Clayton. <laughs> Time. Joe will be staying at some of the finer hotels on the Caribbean, and we'll give him the keys to a new car and all that, of course. Okay. Thanks a lot, folks. And now, we're going to... I'm sorry, sir. The contest is over but now, mean, Andy.
3: But I did not win. No.
0: No, Mr. Uh, Mr. Joe Clayton won the contest. See, it's but all over.
3: He he don't even look like the fancy. I look like more like Tifansi and he don't I don't know what you you bring me here for, but is I thought this was going to be real contest. Well, and it is. I See, think you are making joke.
0: No, no, it's not a joke. The contest no. is a joke. See, we because, have a show to do now. We have to go on. We have yeah, a but I here come to... here
3: to be on television yes. and my friends, you know, are watching. I wanted to to do something, but I think you don't you don't like me. You make fun of me because I am from another country.
0: No, that that's not that's not so. Look, this is a little embarrassing. <laughs>
2: so, you know, you know, who's actually great in this is Dick Van Dyke as the straight man. You know, I mean, it's really difficult. You know, it's funny when I I guess Andy Kaufman was a regular on that show. And I I have a feeling he was well behaved on that show, which is why we never heard anything, because I think he had respect for Dick Van Dyke. That's my guess that he actually had sincere respect for Dick Van Dyke because, you know, who wouldn't? And as a matter of fact, um, the weird part is is that, you know, who was writing on that show? It's kind of like, you know how they always say, and this is before my time, the Smothers Brothers was like this really great show because I had all these writers and they were really doing some interesting things. Of course, it got taken off the air, but they were talking about like the writing team and stuff like that. So as it turns out, the uh, this particular show, I don't remember this, in 1977, uh, ended up winning... The Emmy for Outstanding Comedy A Variety of Music Series, but wait till you hear who accepts the award as the producer. See if you can recognize
0: his voice. And the winner is Van Dyke and Company. <clears throat> Brian Paul is looking at producer and blind. Bob producer for Van Dyke. And
2: And and Dick Van Dyke is just sitting there. He's not even going up because he couldn't believe. He thought for sure they weren't going to win. And they tell him to come up.
0: Come on up. Uh, To say we didn't expect this is ridiculous, because we didn't. We were on 11 weeks, and to win this award, uh, we were preempted quite a few times. In fact, Dick, if you all step forward, this is the longest Dick Van Dyke has been on NBC in the past year without being preempted. I'm hungry. I'd like to say that... We had a great staff, and I've got the best partner in the world in Alan Bly. Dick Van Dyke is the best around. Byron Paul, his partner, fantastic. And uh, we're thrilled. Thank you, everybody. Thanks to our families, and thanks to Tim Conway for reading my telegram. (laughs) Thank you.
2: It's um, Funkhauser from... uh Kirby enthusiasm. Can you believe that? I mean, they mentioned at the front, they said Bob Einstein. But when I saw it, I'm like, well, that can't be the Bob Einstein we know because the timeline doesn't add up. He was already producing shows in 76. I guess it makes sense why he's dead. He must have been much older than we thought. Um I guess Albert Einstein, Albert Brooks was uh working on stuff back then. But think about that when he was doing Super Dave Osborne, this was that was way after this, like five, six years seven years later after he was already producing shows for nbc uh it's quite fascinating i had no idea and he produced that show and won an emmy and uh you recognize his voice and then you see him and i'm like no that's that's funkhauser for christ's sakes can't believe it and like he said they were only on for 11 weeks kept getting preempted and you know i suppose the love of uh dick van dyke is uh you know what made everybody uh you know, maybe vote, but the, the thing he was up against, the Carol Burnett show, uh, you know, kind of in their prime, um, which actually probably gave him the show, because he used to, I think he was becoming a regular on that. Um, he was up against the Muppet show, <laughs> and he was up against the second season of Saturday Night Live, which now always wins. I mean, that's a, that's a tough, I think that's why they were surprised. They probably, and, and Evening at Pops for some, you know, PBS, because I guess they only, oh, no, 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 they didn't, and it just so happens, NBC, CBS, oh, NBC had two, the Van Dyke and Saturday Night Live, but um, that year, so, so this for the seventy six year and one in 77, yeah, The Muppet Show must have just started. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, Muppet Show, I mean, of course, you're probably going to win over that, but who knows? But um, the Outstanding Comedy Series that year, Mary Tyler Moore won, and that won against All in the Family, Barney Miller, The Bob Newhart Show, and M.A.S.H., but that was also their... I think that was their final year. So, of course, they're going to win. Um, but uh, g- g- the Outstanding Drama Series, uh, what beat out Beretta, Columbo, Family, and Police Story on all the networks, Upstairs, Downstairs on PBS, that's like uh, Parasite winning it all. <laughs> PBS! They must have like thrown down their napkins. God damn it! And then uh, the Outstanding Special... Of a comedy, a variety, or music, outstanding special, the Barry Manilow special on NBC. That was a classic. I remember that would have beat out Neil Diamond. Beat out the it beat out. I don't even know how they beat this one out the Shirley MacLaine special. What it, it beat out Sills and Burnett at the Met. What <laughs> and the World of Magic on NBC, probably with uh, who's that idiot Doug? Uh, you know, <laughs> whatever the guy that was in the Magic Show, Doug Ah uh, Hen- Henning, Doug 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 Henning. What a loser. Outstanding special, Sybil. Remember that? No, that was her. And, of course, Roots. That was the year Roots was on. Outstanding limited series. Uh, that was probably a note. To see if I was betting on that one, I would have said that was in. But the lead, that was the year Carol O'Connor won for Archie Bunker. He beat out Jack Albertson and Chico and the Man. He beat out Alan Alda and Mash, Hal Linden. And he beat out the Fonz. God damn it. That ain't right. I don't know how you beat out the Fawns in 1976 when he's the most when when Van Dyke and Company are making apparently like well we don't have the Fonz here tonight he's very busy I don't know how Archie Bunker beats out the Fawns that year right and B Arthur one for Maude <laughs> and he, she beat out Mary Tyler Moore and Valerie Harper and Suzanne Plachet and Jean Stapleton she beat out the biggies B. Arthur. James Garner won for the Rockford Files. He beat out Robert Blake and Beretta, Peter Falk and Columbo, Jack Klugman and Quincy M. E, and Carl Mauld in the streets of San Francisco. Wow. <laughs> this is hilarious. I don't know why. And which I did not know, somehow Lindsay Wagner beat out everybody for the Bionic Woman. I have no problems with that. I mean, she's a horrible actress. I mean, really, she was so pretty. I, I mean she's like pretty without being pretty. So I love watching that show because I think she's so hot. Uh, I still think she's really pretty, but she was, like, unassumingly pretty, you know? But she, she beat out a lot of people that just were all bad actors, you know, like uh, Angie Dickinson <laughs> in Policewoman and Kate Jackson for Charlie's Angels. So it wasn't a good year. And then uh, Sally Field, you know, won for Sybil, and she was really... Tar- I mean, I, ju- I told you, I just saw that movie uh, a couple years ago for the first time, and it's terrifying. It's terrifying, you know, all that... 70s stuff is always terrifying, but, uh, yeah, she beat out a bunch of... She was great. Sybil. Jeez, that was, it was... It's a scary fucking movie. And uh, that solidified Sally Field's uh, place into being able to, uh, the next year, be in Smokey and the Bandit, and then uh, win an Oscar for Norma Ray and uh, be in Smokey and Bandit 2, and then be in The Amazing Spider-Man, and, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever else... She has and win again for Places in the Heart and then Steel Magnolias, uh, all from this performance in Sybil, which if you ever get to see, I'm telling you, the music and everything about it is terrifying, but her performance is unbelievable. And uh, Paul Newman's wife is in it too, and uh, she beat her. And then uh, the amazing thing is for supporting performers, uh... Outstanding performance by a supporting actress drama series. Christy McNichol in Family. What a... And she beat out Meredith Baxter Burney in Family. Remember how angry she was about everything? And Michael J. Fox? Boy, she must have been furious. How did a kid beat me out? She beat out Lee Merriweather and Barnaby Jones. How is that... And then, oh my God, they, that family—it just swept everything. This guy Gary Frank and family, I don't know who the hell he is, but he beat out David Doyle and Charlie's Angels. as Bosley, he beat out Bosley. Who the fuck is this guy? And you know who won? Gary Radar, Gary Burgoff won for Radar and Mash that year. I didn't, I had no idea. He beat out Ed Asner as Lou Grant. What? He beat out Ted Knight as Ted Baxter. He beat out Harry Morgan as Sherman Potter, and he beat out Abe Vigoda and Barney Miller. God, you stink. You give it to either Ted Knight or Ed Asner every time. I mean, Gary Burgoff is pretty goddamn as good as radar, but maybe that was his last season. Maybe maybe that's when he left the show and that's why they gave it. How do you how do you beat out Ted Knight every time? Or or Ed Asner? Or Abe Vagoda as Fish, for Christ's sakes. Are you kidding? That's now that's a tough category. That's a good now that's a category there. How about that? Mary Kay Place. One for Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman. She beat out Georgette on Mary Tyler Moore. She beat out Julie Kavner from Rhoda. Loretta Swit is mashed. Nobody cares about that. She's a horrible actress. But she beat out Betty White from Mary Tyler Moore. How do you lose? How does Betty White from Mary Tyler Moore lose every time? Does anybody remember Mary Kay Place? No. Maybe a little. But uh, fascinating stuff. Then. I think everybody else... Ed Asner won for Roots that year, though. So it's all right. They gave out uh, for you know supporting actor in a single performance or whatever. So Ed Asner won for Roots. Which how do you like that? Guy's playing a comic genius, epic icon character in one thing, and then he's playing a... I'm pretty sure he was a pretty badass slave owner or captain of the slave owners in Roots. I, I think he was playing a douchebag in that. So that's pretty... What a great actor. And Olivia Cole in Roots. Isn't that the woman that just won Best Actress last year? How do you like that? She's been around a long time. I didn't realize she was that old, if that's the one I'm thinking of. Alan Alda won for Best Directing in MASH. I don't, know, I don't you know. I'm fascinated by this stuff. I'm sorry if it's boring for everybody, but what else are we going to talk about? What else do you want to talk about? Let's talk about the good times before there was a virus. Let's talk about 1977, which you know, was a, you know, unbelievable year in television, clearly, for all of us who are still alive. Mary Tyler Moore, Upstairs, Downstairs. That's hilarious. Remember how popular it was with our parents? I don't, I never saw one episode. I couldn't care less. But that was the Downton Abbey of its time. I kind of want to see. Let's see if the next year, uh, maybe Henry Winkler finally won. Nope. The next year, Carol O'Connor won again. What a dick. That ain't right. But Ed Asner won for Lou Grant that time, at least. Thank God. Thank God, there's some, there's some a semblance of good in the world. <laughs> he beat out Al- God damn it! He beat out Henry Winkler again the next year, and that's seventy seven. We didn't. I know he won once, didn't he? Didn't we go through this once when he won for Barry? I think he beat oh, He wasn't even nominated the year after. He must have won a year before. I don't understand. Carol kind of won. So this is three years in a row. I mean, I'm just looking really quick. Jeez, that's completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. That's like when they gave it to John Larroquette like four years in a row. There's like, wait, there's no one else? He wasn't even nominated that next year. Richard Mulligan won for soap. But Ed Ed Asner won for, well, he won for Lou Grant, but in the series, Lou Grant. Not for Mary Tyler Moore. I don't know when Henry Winkler won. I I thought he won once for the Fonz. My God. How do you not even just give him the award just so people will tune in? You know, just nominate him or give him the award just because, you know, that's, that's what people want. I, wanna see, I really want to see if he won. I really assume he won. Yeah. Who cares? Whatever. Whatever. I'm over it. The Fonz. He was the greatest, right? Again. When 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 times were 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 different, when you would sit at home and watch, uh, you know, when you were excited about everybody, you had to tune in. Everybody had to be in front of their television set to see if Fonzie was going to be able to jump the thirteen garbage cans. I mean, uh, it was must see TV before there was must see TV, and uh, it delivered. I mean, I've told you this before. Delivered so much, my dad probably being maybe even 10 years younger than me or maybe my age now, who knows? Uh, sitting there when Fonz goes to that record machine and he, can't, and he can't make the jukebox play with his fist and he knows something's wrong, my dad was panicked. Oh, my God, he lost his power. Oh, that was devastating. But boy, isn't that funny? Those were our priorities. A two-parter. A Fonz is going to make the jump or isn't he? What's going to happen? Everybody was tuned in. Everybody, if you weren't tuned in, you were, you were laughed at at school the next day. Like Memo's kid might be laughed at at school because she might not have been able to watch TV. She would be laughed at. But now let's um, talk about, for a second, I want to talk about what I've been watching. I've watched two separate things. Well, first of all, there's a new show everyone's talking about. I think it's called Tiger King. I watched the first episode yesterday. Everyone's talking about it. I mean, everybody is talking about it. I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard about it in my life. But everybody's talking about it. And it's on Netflix. And apparently it's a documentary, an eight-part documentary series about these people that keep big cats, as they're called, or tigers or lions or cubs, in these local zoos or something. And and then it turns into uh, a hire-for-murder thing because they get so angry at each other. And it is the talk of the town on Netflix. It is the most popular show on Netflix at this moment during this time of the coronavirus. It's uh, it's kicking ass. I watched the first episode. It's very entertaining, and it reminds me of King of Kong because somehow they found a Billy Mitchell protagonist who's so full of himself. It just totally reminds me of Billy Mitchell. This guy's so into himself. You just get lucky as a documentary filmmaker where you find these two antagonists They might not even be called that because you're not sure who's right. Uh, But these two people who are just perfect in every way for a documentary and they don't care what they say and they're frank and they think they're great and they have followers just like Billy Mitchell. So this director guy got real lucky and uh, I just watched the first episode. I can't believe there's eight of them. They're about 45 minutes apiece. So I am excited. The first one was very entertaining so I'm excited to watch the second one. Anyway, Uh, There's a new version of Dracula on Netflix that Stephen Moffat did, and he redid Doctor Who. I'm wondering if he also redid Sherlock as well, which I really like, because they're done in the same style. Three episodes as a season, and they're all an hour and a half. So they're little movies, three little movies called Dracula. And uh, the first episode, I just heard about it and I, I, I took a shot at it. You know, I mean, that's what we're doing right now, right? We're taking shots at people that recommend something. And I don't really I'm really sick of vampire stuff and all that stuff, but I'm like I I trust this guy Stephen Moffat because I really like his rebooted Doctor Who and if he did Sherlock then that's really terrific too. So the first episode is fantastic. I mean this woman in it, this girl Dolly, I think her name is Dolly Wells. She's great and she's the reason the show is great. It's not Dracula. He, he does nothing for me. This girl and it's not because she's hot. It's because she's a really good entertaining actress. And when she's on the screen, the, the, the episode is fantastic. And that's why I think the second episode suffers a little more because she's not in the entire episode. So at the end, when she's in it, like a half hour left of the show, then it picks up again. So if you can get through the second, I haven't watched the third yet. But this actress is phenomenal. She's really riveting. You can't take your eyes off her for all the good reasons that an actress exists. Plus, there is something sexy about her without being sexy, kind of like the bionic woman thing all over again. So uh, she's really interesting and she plays a, a nun in the first one and uh, she's really terrific. Uh, I mean, it's the same, you know, it's a, you know, it continues, but I'm very excited to see the third one now, but maybe in a way I'm also saving it up. Uh, you know, it's an hour and a half time commitment where I like the half hour commitments of Sabrina the Teenage Witch and things like that. But I'm also watching this show called Freud uh, which is my favorite uh, you know premise, like in the Seven percent solution, uh, so I read it it 's from Austria, I thought it was from Australia, but again, my eyes are failing me uh, it 's from Austria, so it is uh voiced. I was getting confused because it looks the voices are so well done I, I was like, wait, wait something 's off, so it 's dubbed there 's no uh, subtitles it 's dubbed uh, you know unless they 're singing a song, a horrible song, and it 's Sigmund Freud. Solving murders, um, which, you know, was like the 7% solution with him and Sherlock Holmes solving a murder together, which was a wonderful movie um, with, unfortunately, a really good uh, Alan Arkin, I think, playing Sigmund Freud and Robert Duvall playing Watson. And unfortunately, the guy that played Sherlock Holmes wasn't as endearing as uh, I would have liked to have been. But by my favorite writer, director, Nicholas Meyer, who directed Star Trek 2 and 6 and uh, Time After Time. So, you know, he makes those kind of movies that I like where what if Sigmund Freud and Sherlock Holmes got together and solved a murder? I like it. So as soon as I heard about this, I'm like, well, it's like the 7% solution. So I might like it. Meanwhile, the funny thing is they must have directly ripped it off the 7% solution, except that Sherlock Holmes isn't in it because it opens with Freud drinking a solution of cocaine. He drinks cocaine all the time. That's what he does. Cocaine and something else. It's on the bottle. You see it at the beginning. So if you can sit through it, because you know it's a little weird because it's Austrian and stuff. I'm up to like the, the uh, fifth, sixth episode. It's uh, kind of fun. It's really good. It's all about hypnosis and stuff like that. And they uh, make fun of Freud being a Jew. And there's a lot of uh, dinner scenes where they're, uh, you know, I think they, I think they have a Seder in one. I can't remember whether it's just Friday night Sabbath uh, <laughs> or or a Seder. But uh, it's it's been good. So I'm uh, looking forward to seeing the rest of that. So I can recommend those two if you like that kind of stuff. It's very, um, it's very gory and very sexual, uh, the Freud is, then Dracula is very just gory, really gory, which, uh, you know, who cares? That's fun. It's fun. Uh, okay, so it's getting late, I guess. I just know because it's getting dark, but it's not been a great day outside. You know, it's like, it's, it's much better to deal with this virus when it's nice outside. Now, it's weird, I guess, for us to go walking around outside. I, the other day, I went to Times Square, because I wanted to see, and my friend Chris Murphy's like, "Oh, let's go out and we'll take pictures." I'm like, "Are you crazy? You don't want to post that we're outside? People will get angry." So I just went to see what it was like. It and it wasn't as eerie as I was hoping it would be. Uh, it felt normal for some reason. It didn't feel the bit. A lot of construction workers walking around. That's the weird part because they're definitely still doing construction under my building here, and pe- that's freaking people out because who knows where they're coming from. And uh, that's who's walking around, just construction workers and homeless people. And you wonder what's happened to the homeless people. I, I don't know. Uh, but uh, so it wasn't that weird to be in Times Square. It was a beautiful day. And then I walked to, to Penn State, not in Penn State, but around it, you know, empty. But still, it, it didn't feel awkward for some reason. I don't know why, because it just felt like a Sunday morning, I guess. I had to keep reminding myself it was a Thursday afternoon and there should be more people here. Meanwhile, they have the TKTS sign, which says, we'll be back April 13th, everybody. I can't imagine that's happening. And then I went up to Grand Central to walk inside and see how that is. You know, I took a long walk. And then I started to get nervous. I went back. I was going to go down to the village. And I'm like, you know what? I'm starting to panic that I have the virus again. Let me go back home. I haven't walked this long in a long time. I was a little nervous, started to get a headache. Cause, mostly because I'm starting to panic myself that I've been walking too long and I'm definitely catching it, you know? um i know we're not supposed to be outside but i mean i was by myself but i had to i just had to see i had to see um i don't know it's like raiders of the lost ark they tell you to close your eyes when they're opening the ark but i'd probably uh, i'd probably open them and be like well like, let's just see what's happening for a second I- i'd be that guy unfortunately but yeah i had to go see and it, it, you know just to what was happening i mean i walk around every day for about a half hour usually just on the water because. I have to. Meanwhile, there's all these old people out. There's a lot of jerk offs in my building. who are like, stay away. And I'm like, you're telling me to stay away, but you're walking outside. If you're that afraid, stay in your house. Stay in your apartment, you piece of shit. And that's my neighbors that I usually like. And this other girl from the building who I told you about when went to Gilbert. She's like, stay away. Stay, get out of my way. I'm like, what an asshole. Stop walking around outside then. Stop coming outside. I know you're not going grocery shopping. You're just walking around. You're taking a walk. So don't tell people to, you know, stay away if you're going outside. This is the chance we're all taking by going outside. But we have to go outside when it's nice. You just we, – unfortunately, we live in New York City, and we're all kind of quarantined in here, and we have to get outside. We're in apartments. You know, we don't, it's not like we have lawns or backyards we can all go out in. Um, we have no choice, and that's why they, you know, I guess, I mean, I don't know why they say New York's the worst, or maybe they're getting the most testing and they have the most people. And that's the thing, too. That's what, make, you know, the, the things are going up because people are getting tested. Isn't it obvious that people are just getting more tests? Now, still, I don't even know where you get a test. Where's that? How come, you know, all, again, how come all these actors and athletes are getting tests, but we're not? I'd love to get a test. I would love to get a test. I don't know where to go. I guess you can go to a city MD, but they tell you not to go unless you're showing symptoms, which I guess is true. But I'd still, I mean, I'd love, I'd love to get a test. I'd like to get a test to see if I had it already. I mean, that would be really helpful because then I could help others because I'd be immune. I, 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 maybe I could help in the hospital. You know, I could help my friend. Uh, maybe. I mean, they're probably looking for volunteers at this point. If I'm immune, I'd probably be, uh, what, what am I doing? I'm doing nothing. I'd like to know that. Oh, oh, you know what? The worst part about this is, is that they have stopped the production of Peeps. Uh, you know, the marshmallow stuff. They've stopped production on Peeps. Now, I think that's just plain rude. This time of the year is when Peeps are the most obvious and delicious. Um, I just bought a whole bunch of French or were they pancake or French toast Peeps uh, that I bought to Billy's show a couple weeks ago. And they were delicious. But the pink and yellow ones are my, you know, always be my favorite. Um, and usually this time of the year, I try and eat an entire box of Peeps because they're freshly hatched. No more of that. They stopped production. And uh, quite frankly, if we're living in a new world, they should probably stop production on that in general. We really, nobody should really be eating Peeps ever. They're just not good for anybody. Um, talk about diabetes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh Peeps, just I don't think they're helping anybody. Oh, that was the other thing I saw when I was in Times Square. I saw they're like the the, the, everybody. They have a sign says the WNBA draft is still happening as planned, and it'll be televised. The WNBA draft, something nobody wanted to see. That's what they're promoting on the ESPN marquee. Don't worry, folks. The WNBA draft will still go on as planned. That's how bad. Things have gotten i have a feeling most of us don't even know the wnba still exists and that's the worst part this would be the perfect time this would be like that movie a league of their own where if the women could just play everybody would be involved in the wnba it would become popular for a year we could bet on it the men would get into it but unfortunately nobody can play it'd be like if women weren't susceptible to this virus the wnba would be the greatest thing that ever happened to sports in 2020. And then they make a movie about it years later. A league of their own, too. The story of the WNBA. And how nobody cared the second men's sports were able to go back together. And unfortunately, it's true, as sexist as it sounds. And they postponed the Olympics. But as David Tell says, they have not postponed the Special Olympics. So that will continue. <laughs> Uh, Trump was just like, well, they're already, uh, well, you know. (laughs) But no, they postponed the Olympics to 2021. No one cares. I mean, I don't care. I just don't give a shit. I really don't. I mean, but that's, unfortunately, that's where girls shine in the Olympics. Women, sports, the gymnastics, uh, you know, that's where women shine in sports. The Olympics. Soccer, gymnastics. Gymnastics. And and that's where it ends. And the Winter Olympics for figure skating. And that's where women get the most, you know, attention for being athletes. Uh so that's a shame. That's a shame. Pretty much said that like uh, Seinfeld. There's no reason to uh you know, stop the podcast on a normal night. I probably would we'll just just keep going. I will tell you this because who cares? Again, I don't know how people listening, I don't know if you need more uh, don't forget, uh, 3462 Juskow. Uh, I'm just going to keep talking because, um, you know, who gives a shit, right? We got nothing going on and nothing to do, so just make the longest podcast possible, right? Uh, was I going to make a daily one? I don't know. I still don't know. I mean, I probably could do 30 minutes a day, but you know me. I like to talk. So I've been taping a bunch of shows that I would just normally not tape, like the Paul Lynn show last week, stuff like that. So I take this uh, show called Classic Albums, and they had Steely Dan, Asia, on, <laughs> am I pronouncing that correct? I'd feel like a dick, but uh, they had the making of that album on, and boy, was that terrific! Classic albums, Asia, Steely Dan, and apparently they filmed it in 1999. So Becker and Fagan were all on board, and they were just sitting at the machine, showing how every instrument was, you know, used. And they they were saying how this was the album, like they had stopped touring because. You know, they were just like, we can't get the proper sound we like with touring and how every uh, instrument was like, you know, they they just kept, they didn't have like studio musicians. They just bought in special musicians. They had studio musicians, but they would bring in a specialist for like each song. They're like, we like the way this guy drums or we like, we need a guy who plays the guitar this particular way. It's funny hearing them. I mean, it's interesting hearing them talk about it and how intellectual they are. And the way they write music and showing the charts and uh, how they're like, no, no, we needed this kind of drum beat. We needed this kind of bass. And really getting into the songs. And then when you hear it, and this was a like a legendary classic album, every song you know. But Donald Fagan is, is not a very attractive man. Uh, but it was great. It's 1999 because Becker's dead, obviously. And they were both like into talking about it, which was... So that was like twenty years, twenty-two years after this album was released. So it was good that whoever put this together had everybody's permission. They, inter- you know, they were talking to the uh, other guys that played on the album. I don't want to call them band members, and it was quite fascinating talking to them about. Uh, plus, they found out what a black cow was, which I think it's a root beer float that they I guess they used to make in the fifties or something like ice cream and root beer. And I think everybody thinks it's like a, a drug thing but it's not take your big black cow and get out of here yeah it's not as uh, trippy as uh, we thought it was that was interesting and then this is the title song Yeah, you watch Donald Fagan play this on the piano, you forget he's really good. He plays it so effortlessly, you know. I mean, they were really good musicians. This is Deacon Blues. I mean, this song really was uh, like every song. And you know, uh, there was a couple of weeks ago we played Peg because I couldn't remember what the. This is the day of the expanding man. We played, because remember we didn't know the song was named Peg and it was. Uh... This is this one we played it. Oh, yeah, right. And you know, this is the thing we. Uh, the Nightfly is named after the Donald Fagan album. But right, we didn't know the name was Peg. That was like about a year ago, I guess, probably.
1: I seen your picture
2: your name lots of love it. it. does sound this good, doesn't it?
1: So it.
0: There's
2: only seven songs on the album. talk about that drumming you hear in the background he's like well i had my hi-hat just like an inch higher than usual kind of like that kind of stuff even though i have no idea what the hell they're talking about this is something like none of us like really know unless you like are kind of gifted with the talent of knowing this stuff like like amadeus That's a good album to maybe play, uh, you know, while we're in hiding. I'm sorry, I'm just uh, making sure I covered everything today before uh, we leave. I I can't read my own handwriting. I'm an idiot. I guess that's it for today. I think we covered a lot of fun stuff, at least. I hope we uh, made everybody forget about stuff for a little bit. You know, I mean, that's, that's the best we can do, right? I mean, we just try and uh, you try and forget about what's going on in the world for two seconds or so, even though we have to talk about it a little bit because, you know, I mean, that, that's... What are you, you going to do? I feel bad for people that listen back to this, you know, like years from now. it would be like, uh, you know, I know a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm going back and listening to some of your other podcasts. or like, I, I almost want to, like, label them. like, don't listen to this one. It's about the coronavirus. We don't want to remember this. It would be like doing a September 11th podcast or something, which I was the first one to do, by the way. Um, I'm just kidding. I didn't think of podcasts. But anyway, remember, Saturday, April 4th. This Saturday, April 4th. This comes out on Tuesday, March 31st. Saturday, April 4th at 3 p.m. If you call 3462-JUSCAL, we will talk. I will set up the situation again. Remember, though, I guess there's a little delay so there, you know, we always have to deal with that, but everybody's doing that on the news these days anyway. So we'll be all right. And, uh, we'll see if anybody calls and can find out what you're doing to pass the time, what you're watching and, and see how everybody who listens to the night fly and, uh, hopefully using it as a crutch to get through these next few months. Oh no, <laughs> uh, you know, see how everybody else is doing out there in night land and, um, take it from there and then we'll you know we'll definitely have some of our celebrity friends on uh talking i just wanted to do this by myself today because you know as you know i don't like the quality even though we had our our friend in on the phone from the nurse because that was kind of important but uh you know i just don't like the sound quality so that's why i otherwise i'd probably have memo on every week but uh you know i like i like good sound quality and it's important so there it is anyway uh don't forget Three four six two, just go, and hopefully I'll see you Saturday. Otherwise, we'll see you next week on Tuesday, uh, just the Tuesday before Passover. And uh, I hope I really do hope everybody's doing okay, and uh, you know, taking it sleazy, and you're able to, uh, you know, do the best you can. I guess eat and pay your bills, and, and sleep and shower. <laughs> And uh, mostly it's, it's you know, if you think about it the the opposite way and you don't think about the finance, it's, it's kind of great just watching TV and sleeping. Uh, welcome to my world. And uh, I just hope everybody's doing okay. You know, uh, write to me at DaveJoskowFans at gmail.com if you want. And uh, we can we can maybe have a conversation. Otherwise, I'll see you on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, I will see you uh, next week on the night fly, everybody. Good night. only one way.